Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 44:21 through 45:25, called Every Knee Will Bow. I had someone sending me an email, and I don't know if you guys saw this, but it was an email of two dogs. One dog had gotten a disease, have you seen this, and had its eyes removed, and it shows pictures of the dog with its eyes removed, and his head is on his other buddy dog, and the, the one dog who can see has become the eyes of the dog, blind, the dog that's blind, and they, they go everywhere together, and one picture shows the dog that can see, he's got the leash of the, do- the blind dog in his mouth, and he's leading the blind dog around, and he's become his eyes, and it's like one of these really touching, touching things. But they are like dogs unable to bark, and here's the issue. They are dreamers lying down who love to slumber. They're lazy. And the dogs are greedy. They are not satisfied. And they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each one to his unjust gain to the last one. Come, they say, let us get wine. Let us drink heavily of strong drink. And tomorrow will be like today, only more so. Nothing's going to change. We'll just live it up. We'll do what we want to do. We'll live how we want to live. And there's going to be no problem. And God, I guess we could safely say, according to this verse, when he finds no shepherds after his heart among his people, he chooses people that he can use that are outside of his people. God can use even foreign nations. He used Assyria against the northern kingdom. He used Babylon against the southern kingdom. And now he uses Persia to bring his people back to the land. That's three pagan kings to accomplish God's will, which you and I, as a student of the scriptures, should then say, goodness, that tells me something about the control of my God, even over nations and kings of the world. That ultimately, this is God's universe, God's plan, and he can move the chess pieces, he can hit rewind, he can do anything that he wants because he is sovereign God. So nothing is outside of his ultimate control. Nothing uh, escapes his notice, and he can use the, the pieces that are presently on the chessboard, as it were, kings and knights and whatever you want to say, and queens, to accomplish his will. He exploits these things for his good purposes. Thus says the Lord, look at 45.1. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. Cyrus, his anointed. If you read a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the Septuagint, you would see Cyrus, his Christ. Cyrus, his Christos. Cyrus, his anointed one. And the evidence is, brothers and sisters, that Cyrus did not have a personal relationship with God. So how could Cyrus be the anointed of God? And in one sense, if you read commentaries on Isaiah, you'll see that the authors will say that Cyrus foreshadowed in some way the Messiah. How so? 
because the Messiah would bring deliverance of his people from the captivity of sin and bring them back ultimately to the land where he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And Cyrus, a Persian king, in some way becomes a foreshadowing of the anointed one, the Messiah. And they would say of the kings that he is anointed by God and they would literally anoint the kings with oil and incredibly Cyrus, a Persian king, becomes the anointed of God. And Persia is now modern day Iran. Wow. God says, I've taken this Cyrus by the right hand. That has the picture of leading him to, here's God's plan. Cyrus will subdue nations, plural, before him, and he did do that. Loose the loins of kings, and he did do that. Open doors before him. Uh, If you have a New King James, it says to open before him the double doors. There were double doors leading into Babylon. Actually, they had something like a hundred doors or gates so that the gates will not be shut. And by the way, when Cyrus conquered Babylon, the gates were open and left unattended in history when he conquered the land. And so God says, I'm moving through Cyrus. I am taking him by the right hand. He's going to subdue nations. I will go before you, verse 2, 45, and make, he's speaking to Cyrus now, the rough place is smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze, that's speaking of Babylon there, and cut through their iron gates. One note, Babylon had a 100 gates of bronze, but Cyrus it would experience uh, what Israel had experienced in the past, the mighty hand of God fighting on his side. There's a record in Josephus that says that Daniel shared the prophecy with Cyrus, and Cyrus was impressed that his name was in the Hebrew scriptures before he was ever born. That's pretty radical. That's the God of the Bible. And he's leading now Cyrus by the hand. And he says, I will give you, Cyrus, verse 3, the treasures of darkness. The treasures of darkness, according to one study Bible, is an allusion to the fabled wealth of Sardis captured by Cyrus in 546 BC. God says, I'll give you these treasures, one of the places that he conquered, and hidden wealth of secret places. And why will God do it? in order that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. And Cyrus, the Persian king, as he was conquering these lands and doors were opening to him that no man could shut, apparently he had a sense within himself that God, the God of Israel, was on his side and fighting his battles. And remember in the the caravans in ancient times, there was talk of the God of Israel parting seas, drying up the seas and so forth, conquering peoples. There was a history of this happening. And if you write down uh, in your Bible, Ezra 1, verses 1 through 4, also write down Ezra 6, 3 through 5, and 15. And if you just think about the chronology of the Bible, it was a decree of Cyrus recorded in the book of Ezra where the initial group went back to Israel and rebuilt the temple. And it was Cyrus that allowed that to happen and Cyrus that even funded it to happen. The pagan king became a tool for almighty God. And God says, here's the the kicker of the whole thing though. Why did God do all of this? Verse four, He did it for the sake of Jacob, my servant. It all comes back to the one that he loves. And Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you have noticed this, 
Cyrus, you have not known me. Everything that I did, the, uh, the captivity under Babylon, the deliverance under Cyrus, I have done all this for the sake of Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. It seems that all of this that's happening, all that God has uh, used as unexpected tools to bring about history was all done for the sake of his covenant people. All done for their welfare, even the discipline, the 70 years of captivity, and then the deliverance, all was for the sake of the ones that God loves. When I was uh, about 20 years old, I was invited to a Calvary chapel by a lady I was doing business with. I was uh, in the printing industry. I was an account executive and I would go to this big company in Costa Mesa and I would just check on my client and I would share my love life with her and my love life was a mess. I was uh, with this girl that I wasn't married to. She had been my high school sweetheart. We were doing everything out of God's order and I was singing the blues because we had broke up and I had given this girl an engagement ring and she gave it back to me because the whole thing was a mess and it's a good thing that we didn't get married. But as I began to share this, this, this lady who was a Christian picked up on the fact that I needed the Lord. So she said, I'd like to invite you to a Bible study at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa where me and my husband go to church. And I said, ah, oh, lady, I grew up in the Catholic church. I really don't want to hear about that. But eventually she wore me down. So I ended up at Calvary Chapel on a Monday night back when Chuck Smith was teaching. And a guy comes out with his bald head and sits on the step and teaches on a Monday night. And all I remember was looking around that church and thinking, this is crazy. I saw Hawaiian shirts, flip-flops, acoustic guitars. I grew up in the Catholic church. It was very formal. Sometimes it was done in Latin. You know, there were certain regimented things that you did. You stood up at the same time. You responded at the same I thought, I thought, this cannot be church. And then the song started playing and the people's hands were going up and I thought, these people have lost their collective minds. But I was in a long row and I couldn't get out gracefully. So I just looked around. I don't remember anything that was said that night. I was pursuing so I thought a professional baseball career and, you know, I was an athlete, and, but I was a distracted young man, to say the least, with many dumb things. So during this period of time, I decided to play in this uh, football game. On Sunday nights, we would meet, we would drink a little bit, me and my buddies, and then we'd play this tackle football game with no pads, Real smart guys that we were, right? But we're all jocks and we're, yeah, we're going to play football and the girls would come and watch on the sidelines, right? So I'm playing quarterback in this game and I went back and I was looking and there's nobody open and I went running with the football. And as I ran, the first defender came up on me and I went to make a move and I stepped in a pothole and I heard, and I tore my knee, my uh, right cruciate ligament. And as I was going down, the guy that was going to tackle me his intention was to tackle me about chest high, but since I was falling, he hit me in the mouth and knocked one of my teeth out. And on the same play, with the girls on the sidelines and me trying to be so impressive, I tore my ACL and had a tooth knocked out, and I looked like Quasimodo going down. Right? I didn't know if I should go to a, a dentist or an orthopedist first. So, you know, it was ugly. All my glory went right out the window. So that whole uh, story led me to several doctors and a change of diet to soft foods. (laughs) But eventually, my cousin was playing on the slow-pitch softball team. He knew I was a ball player. 
And he said, look, Michael, I know you're banged up and you're healing you from your knee injury. Come and play uh, softball with us. We'll put you at first base. You won't have to move too much. So, of course, I go and play on the softball team, and it's filled with a bunch of, guess what, Christians. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Walk in Truth has more content for you to listen to with our mini-sodes A Step Closer, where Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics and questions about life from a Christian perspective. You'll also get a chance to get to know the team. We have just celebrated Easter, so the first series is on the resurrection. So if something is that, that's written down reflects poorly on what is being described or what is being reported on, if that reflects poorly... That lends to its credibility. Yes. Because normally we say, well, the writers are biased. Regardless, we're not just talking about the New Testament. Any writer's biased, they want to get their point of view across. But what shows their objectivity or attempt to be objective is when they include information or facts that reflect poorly on themselves or the narrative they're trying to push. Yes. And, and so let's take a step further towards that. So when the women go to the apostles who are supposed to be the brave followers of Christ, right. they say... The, the women have lost their minds, to paraphrase. They do. They're just crazy tales. They, they don't believe it, which is another embarrassment yeah. because, of course, the, the documents go on to say that Christ is risen and it becomes crystal clear. But the, the way that it, this is written down, and we believe it corresponds exactly to what happened, is that they don't believe they have no faith. To listen to the Walk in Truth mini-sodes a step closer, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcast, and more. Again, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Come and play uh, softball with us. We'll put you at first base. You won't have to move too much. So, of course, I go and play on the softball team, and it's filled with a bunch of, guess what, Christians. And so after every game, you know what they would do? They'd get together, and they'd say, hey, we're going to go to pizza. You want to come to pizza? I don't want to go to, you want to come to pizza? And they get together, and guess what they talk about? the Lord and church and stuff. And, oh, here we go, right? Well, eventually they wore me down and I ended up at one of their church services on a Sunday and the, and the Lord just grabbed a hold of my life. I felt like he was speaking directly to me and I walked down that aisle with uh, my bride eventually and we b- both became Christians. God used that period of my life that seemed so devastating, a pretty brutal knee injury, a pretty embarrassing time in my life to get me on a softball team to get me to end up at a church so that his sovereign plan could be fulfilled. Now, I'm not saying he put the pothole there. I don't know. (laughs) But I'm saying this. God sometimes uses unusual circumstances in our lives to get us to a place where he can speak to us. And I, I don't know what would have happened to me had I not been saved by the Lord because I was going in a pretty bad direction. And he intervened and he showed me grace and I've shared with you publicly many times, mine was not an overnight, everything was gone out of my life, it was a process, it's still a process, but the Lord has been faithful. And uh, I'll tell you, he uses unexpected ways sometimes, we look back on our lives and we say, man, that was a really dark time and, 
You know, maybe it was a devastating time for you, but the Lord has a way of showing you that he did things, or at least he exploited things for your sake. That's how much he loves you. And I could look back on that time and say, I'm not going to dissect whether or not God caused that, but I'll say this, God has a way of exploiting evil for his good purposes. And he exploited that season in my life and he caused my cousin to ask me to go to church and he caused that woman to be uh, encouraging me, a, young, a lost young man, to go to church. And I, if I rewind the tape, I remember a lady in my neighborhood who I'm sure was praying for me because when I was a little guy playing football on a street, I remember going into this lady's house and she was listening to Christian ministry all the time. We went in to get a drink at my buddy's house and my buddy, I think she was the grandma, said, all she does is sit there all day long and listen to preaching, 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 preaching. We were all like, yeah, it ain't that funny. And she probably was shaking her head going, oh Lord, please save those young men. Oh God. I got hit on that street, by the way by a car. That probably explains quite a bit, but anyway, we won't go there for now. I am the Lord, verse 5, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me. And I could say that though there was a point in time when I didn't have a personal relationship with God, he was still working in my life. Can you say amen? amen. That men may know From the rising to the setting of the sun. That means that the whole world may know. Write down for your notes Psalm 113, verse 3. That there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I do what I do so that men and women all over the world will know that I am God, and there is no one besides me. And God just makes it clear. He is the one, notice in your Bible, verse 7, forming light and creating darkness. And this may strike some of you maybe a little strange. God is the one causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these. I don't know how that fits with your theology. I don't know if you have read verses before in your Bible that say God causes calamity. But if you think of the immediate context, think of the people of Israel, what's happened to them? What's this all about? They are in Babylonian captivity in a nation 500 miles from their homeland under the They're basically slaves in a foreign land. However much freedom they had is not the issue. They're away from their homeland in a pagan land. They say, how can we sing the Lord's song in a pagan land? And the mover and shaker behind the whole thing is God. He's behind their calamity and he's behind their deliverance. Now I want to be careful when we talk about theology. I want to be careful that we know that God does not, he's not the author of evil, but he can certainly exploit calamity for his good purposes. Think with me. What's the greatest calamity that's ever happened on this planet? What would you say? Well, we could talk about a lot of things. Maybe the Holocaust comes to mind for you. But I would say to you, the greatest calamity that this planet has ever seen is the murder of the Son of God. 
Would you agree? The murder of the Son of God, a totally innocent man who never sinned, who came to save people, was murdered. And he even prophesied it. He said, I'm going to be uh, brought into the hands of sinful men. They're going to kill me, and I'm going to raise on the third day. And if you look at Isaiah 53.10, skip ahead for a moment. Isaiah 53.10, your Bible says this. Isaiah 53.10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him. This is the famous messianic prophecy about Jesus' death. Putting him to grief. If you have an ESV, it reads this way. Yet, 53.10, first part. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. See, the one behind the death of Jesus ultimately is God. The Father. Was Judas culpable for his betrayal? Yes. Were the Jewish leaders culpable for what they did to manipulate the people? Yes. Was Pontius Pilate culpable for the fact that he knew that he was an innocent man and washed his hands in front of all the people because he couldn't find a way politically to give, get out of it? Yes, but his sin was not as great as those who knew more, yet he had still sinned. He was still culpable. If you write down Acts 2.23, Peter preaching to the people in Jerusalem says, this man, Jesus, was delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. And then he says, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Acts 2.23 teaches both realities. It was God's plan that Jesus die and yet it was godless men who nailed him to the cross. Acts 2.23. This is how majestic our God is. He can take the will of man, the intentions of man, and he's so majestic in his attributes that he can weave it together to form his tapestry despite the evil intentions of man because God works all things, not some, but all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You've been listening to Every Knee Will Bow, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 44.21 through 45.25. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Part 1 and 2 when you follow Walk in Truth on the free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, listen to our new mini-sodes called A Step Closer. Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Player FM, and many more. Subscribe for free to hear Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, the issue of the temple in Jerusalem is an intriguing one, isn't it? And sometimes when we read some scriptures, we're like, okay, is this prophetic of a future temple? Will there be a future temple? You know, if you've been around the Christian church for long enough, you know, there's even a debate about that. And between those who are, you know, uh, premillennial and amillennial and so forth. Ezekiel describes a temple in the future. Is that the millennial temple? Does the book of Revelation describe a future temple where the Antichrist will go in and demand worship? Well, that's my understanding of the scriptures. And, you know, ultimately we know in the New Jerusalem, there's no need of a temple 
for the Lord is really the one who will be the focus in that day. These are some interesting things to wrestle with. Just remember in the New Testament, what the Bible says is that we, amazingly, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he dwells in us. What a great privilege. And we know that the Lord has knocked down all the walls, the separation because of our sin, and he now lives and dwells in us. He is so faithful and so good. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. And since we've been bought with a price, what do we want to do? Glorify God in our bodies. Oh, Lord, help us as we endeavor to please you and to honor you, knowing that we are your holy temple. Well, hey, we are journeying through the book of Isaiah. This is Pastor Michael. We're so glad you're listening. I want to invite you to a, an event that we have going on at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, where I serve as senior pastor. It's the National Day of Prayer, an evening prayer and praise event with multiple churches uh, in the city of Corona, beginning at 6.30 p.m. on May the 5th. The first Thursday of May is always the National Day of Prayer. This is also Cinco de Mayo, and it would be a great day for you to come on out and pray with other believers over the church, over the nation, over the world. So much going on. Let's cry out to God together. You can get the information when you go to walkintruth.com and click on that church tab, walkintruth.com. Find out information and directions and join us for the National Day of Prayer on Thursday night, May 5th. Well, we'll see you right here tomorrow, Lord willing, for more in Isaiah. God bless you. Remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events as well. Please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. Donate at walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 4421 through 4525 called Every Knee Will Bow. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.